you stand in reverence as we read from the scriptures this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. <coughs> this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. In the United States, Christians have been the majority since the beginning, and we're used to those benefits. But to those to whom the author of Hebrews was writing did not have the same experience. Just a few verses beyond where we read, this author will describe the abuse and persecution and suffering that they endured for their faith. But it's interesting to me that they took the suffering love of Christ as seen on the cross as a model for their faith as a way that they could enter into suffering and still continue to have this relationship with God that is so important. This way of obedience or faithfulness that Christ embodied. They believed that they endured, if they continued to be faithful to the call, that God would lead them through those experiences in such a way that they would experience new life. That God was in the process, even through the suffering, of perfecting them in love or filling them fully with divine love so that all their actions, all their motivations came and grew out of the love of God they had come to know and see in Jesus Christ. Dr. Thomas Long is a Seminary professor and Bible commentator, he writes about this passage in this chapter. I want to read you a few of the lines he wrote. I thought they were so helpful. He says, the author of Hebrews is eager to show that the redemptive action of God addresses the world's, the world's real brokenness. In Jesus, God entered into the full range of human suffering and tragedy therefore as the hebrews preacher has already claimed back in chapter 4 we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness or in chapter 5 where he says and jesus learned obedience through what he suffered jesus walked right into the fire of human pain and while ordinary human beings allow the trouble of life to twist and distort them into victims, oppressors, or a combination of the two, Jesus' suffering shaped him into a perfect offering. Into a perfect offering. That's what the author of Hebrews sees that God is doing through Jesus Christ through his obedience to God, or you could say his obedience to love, or to his call, Jesus does not succumb to hate or violence. 
Jesus endures all that the world throws at him and through that reveals the nature of God's love for us and the way that God's love is at work in the world. But not only that, the author of Hebrews sees that this also opens the door for us and shows us a path to walk when we are in times of suffering or difficulty or struggle. The author of Hebrews saying to these people, keep the faith, stay the course, look to Jesus, who he says is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith later in this same letter. This author wants his people to believe that they can count on Christ. So he says to them, we have Christ as the faithful witness to show us the way. But it's not only that. There's more here. There's more good news here that this author says can change our lives, that transforms us once we understand it. In verse 14, he says, For by a single offering he, Christ, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Those who are sanctified. He means us. That could be us, that can be us, those people who are sanctified or made holy or set apart to be those who embody the love of God in the world, to be those who know the love of God has come to them through Jesus Christ and opened a door for them to be love alive in the world. The offering Jesus makes in his life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for us to be sanctified or be made fully loving. But not only is God at work in Christ, he goes on to say in verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. Or in other words, God is still with us. God still is at work in our lives perfecting us in love, filling us with love, cleansing us of our sin, Hebrews says, cleansing us, opening the door for a new life of love that we can know even as Christ knew. Since Christ is faithful, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we too can be faithful. These people to whom this author is writing are tired, frustrated, feeling weak, some apparently falling away from the faith. And this author wants to encourage them to keep the faith, to continue to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. He goes on in the verses after where we stop reading to talk about what that can look like in our daily lives. He lists three actions I want us to look at before we finish today. First one is in verse 24. He says, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. The place he says this sanctification, this embodiment of love starts what it looks like. It's what he says here, love and good deeds. He's encouraging his people who are discouraged to focus on love and good deeds and remind others of the same. I was thinking about as I was working on this sermon this week, our opportunity this afternoon 
Over a hundred of us will be going over to Jubilee Hall to participate in the Rise Against Hunger work. We'll be packaging some 15,000 meals. Can you imagine what a meal that's full of nutrition that comes to you ready to go means to someone who's living through a famine, who is hungry or starving, and then someone shows up with plenty of food, packaged and ready to go so that they might eat and have their fill. I think it's love and action. I think it's love and good deeds. I think when we gather together in Jubilee, we're provoking one another to love and good deeds that proclaim the love of God alive in the world to the hungry and the hurting. He goes on with the second action in verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So that's the second action, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now he's not talking about, oh, I got sick and missed one Sunday or my family was out of town a couple of weeks on a vacation. He's talking about people who made a commitment to the Christian fellowship and then redecided somehow and now no longer attend or participate. He says, don't make that mistake. Don't make the mistake of drifting away or moving away. Come together, meet together. And then he says in the last part of verse 25, after he says for them to, not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. His idea here is within the Christian body, within the Christian church, within the fellowship of the faithful, that we encourage one another. Sometimes I encourage you, sometimes you encourage me. But when we're meeting together, we have opportunity to encourage one another. I see it every Sunday as you all enter here, as you encourage and greet one another and share hugs and handshakes and words of greeting. And when you know someone's hurting, a word of encouragement and care coming together as the Christian body of Christ. We're called to encourage one another. This is the third action. Let us be the people who are continually encouraging one another. Sometimes this happens with a small gesture. A few weeks ago, we had a special called conference for all the United Methodist Churches in Oklahoma. We were voting on churches who wanted to leave the denomination. 29 of them had asked to depart. I saw a pastor from one of the churches that I knew had taken a vote. I knew the pastor wanted them to leave. But when the people voted, they voted not to leave. And I can't imagine how hard it is to be a pastor of a congregation when you know that a significant group of your people just voted against you. So when I saw him across the room, I just went over there to say, How are you doing? It must be really hard. And he said, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, everything's going to be fine. And he kind of laughed it off as it was no big problem. And I said, well, great. I was really worried, but I'm glad you're doing well. 
I went on into the assembly and found my seat. I didn't see him the rest of the conference. And then about a week later, I received a note in the mail from him. I want to read you what he wrote. He said, I want to share with you how much I appreciated our interaction this past Friday at conference. Please know I could feel your sincerity when you asked how I was doing. Out of all of those I encountered at conference, I appreciated you and your spirit the most. Thank you for this encounter. I appreciated that moment more than you will ever know. I don't think I did anything out of the ordinary. But clearly God used that moment to encourage another. It was a small, simple gesture, just a question, a conversation that lasted less than five minutes. And yet clearly it made a significant difference in his life. The author of Hebrews says, and the Holy Spirit is at work in our midst, testifying to us, revealing to us this deep love that comes from God through the sacrifice of Christ. And so the author asked those who would listen, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I put in your outline, verse 23 in this same chapter, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. For Christ has promised, and the author of Hebrews says, remember, Christ is faithful. Amen, and thanks be to God.